Welcome to Transformation Nation with your hosts, Jason Krantz and Jordan Morrow. Whether in your personal life, family, career, or more, each of us has the power to transform. Our episodes are designed to help empower everyone to transform into the person that they want to be. Jump into this episode to learn how you can become who you want to become. Hey everybody, how you doing? Jason Krantz here with my good friend, Jordan Marlowe. Really excited about what we got on tap today. You know, last episode, we talked about really establishing your why and setting the stage and that vision. Today, we're going to dig a little bit deeper into the strategies for bringing that vision to life. So kind of on that note, why don't you set the stage for the listeners? Yeah, for me, if you think about it, I, I like to turn to Simon Sinek. For anybody who hasn't watched his TED Talks out there or read his books, Start With Why?, it's wonderful if you have a why, right? That's great. You have a purpose. You have something behind you driving things. But if, if you don't have steps, if you don't have a what and a how, like how are you actually going to make this happen? Then then what's the point? I like to, I like to tie it as I was thinking about this episode. I like to tie it to me and and my fitness goals and my ultra marathons. Lo and behold, go figure. I'm going to tie back to ultra marathons here. But if you think about it, my why for that is I want to I want to push my limits. I want to be as fit as I possibly can. And I want to test myself. Wonderful. But what about the what and the how, what are you going to do and how are you going to do it? Right. There are so many different things. It's, it's one thing to have a why, but what are you going to do to make that happen? Are you going to improve your nutrition? Are you going to do this or that? And how are you going to then do the improving of your nutrition? Like these plans, like I have a coach for my next hundred uh, mile race that I'm going to be doing, right? You, you have to have steps and processes in place to ensure that these things are going to occur or else it's just like mm-hmm. a pipe dream, right? It's, it's just throwing something to the wind and saying, yeah, this is my why. And how many people do you know, Jason, how many do you know that have a why, a powerful why, but don't seem to go anywhere? Like I could probably name off multiple friends that I know that when you talk to them, you could just see something in them. But then when you can see that they're not reaching those goals, that that becomes its own new why. Like, why is it not happening? So, what, yeah, do think? Yeah, what do you think? I, about I echo that sentiment hundred uh, percent, man. Because it, 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 there's there's a lot there's a lot of romanticism that goes into kind of the idea of this bold vision that we're going to do. And a lot of people can do that. A lot of people can get excited about that. But then you say, okay, well, that's a great vision. How am I going to make that? happen and bring that vision to fruition and then the final step of that which we'll be covering in another episode is the execution component of that but using the athletic analogy um i think as most of our listeners know uh, i ran track and field sprints at a pretty high level for a long time and we had extremely systematic training protocol to meet the goal of in this case you know running fast right so we didn't just go out and run fast. There was a planned, you know, uh, base conditioning phase to establish flexibility, hip mobility, all these other things. And then you go into the strength phase, the strength phase there to maximize, uh, you know, the, the, the maximum force you can generate. And then there would be a power phase where you'd work on the, applying that force in very short order. And it was the sequence that these things occurred that got you to championship season and peak physical and mental um, condition to perform at an elite level. And that's really important because as you're setting up your, your strategy, you really have to understand that you're not going to be trying to perform at a high level 
at all times because that leads to burnout. That leads to mental burnout, physical burnout, leads to injuries, lost motivation. And so that's where on the strategy side is really not only just the appropriate strategy, but the appropriate time frame so that you can coordinate expectations and, and kind of you know set goals and benchmarks along the way um, to understand that, um, hey, progress is going to take time. But at least you you go into it understanding and having clarity on what that process looks like. And, you know, it's like my coach would always tell us, you're not winning championships in the fall. You're winning championships in late spring. So everything is leading up to that event. So we have to be regimented and, and consistent in our execution, creation and execution of the plan. Oh, I, I love it. And, and I want to dive into the sequencing, right? That, I think that is something people – miss so often like i've got i've got a boy who loves baseball and he wants to go right to playing games and hitting home runs versus the fundamentals that get you there but before we go on that i'm going i want to ask you a question that's a little bit of a tangent on this but it's our (laughs) podcast so we can do that did you enjoy every piece of the process were you always just like i'm so excited to do this or did it suck a lot yeah And, and i think i think that's what people miss sometimes right is that these things that we're doing to try and achieve our why, these things that we're doing that we're trying to achieve goals. Let's, let's talk about data and analytics for a second, which is our bread and butter for both of us. This is what we do. When, when you talk to a company, they want the easy button. That easy button pertains to pretty much probably everyone in this world, including ourselves. Wouldn't it be nice if I could press an easy button and boom, my fitness is where I want to be. Or someone makes a resolution in January and boom, press the easy button. We've hit our resolutions. The reality is we have to have a mindset that takes us to dark places, that it's going to suck. And it is going to suck at times horribly, horribly bad. When I, when I run an ultra marathon, there are points in these races, I don't know how to describe them to you, Jason. They are such low points mentally. They're dark. You can hallucinate. It, it, it is so hard, but it is coupled with the highest of highs, like this opposition in all things, right? If you want to achieve greatness at times, it's going to suck. If you want a data and analytics strategy to mm-hmm. succeed, it might be painful to get there. And this is part of things that we need to make sure our listeners and ourselves keep track of and understand. And that is the step-by-step approach will get us there. But at times, it's really going to suck to get there. I like the comment. It's Lionel Messi, um, one of the greatest soccer players to ever live. His quote is basically something like, it took me 17 years, so many days and hours to become an overnight success. Meaning he is not an overnight success. He has put in the pain and work. You and I are, are enjoying right now in, in this time, uh, there's a great documentary happening called The Last Dance. I grew up just north of Chicago. You're in Chicago um, talking about Michael Jordan and the Bulls. If people don't understand the amount of work Michael Jordan put in to be as good as he was, and do you think it was always the most enjoyable? No, but his drive got him there. So this is that tangent is regardless of the systems that we put in place, regardless of the process, we have to trust the process. There are going to be days that it is not enjoyable to do the thing that you must do, but you have to put in the work on the hard days. It's easy to put in the work on the good days. I find that it might be more important to put in the the work on the bad days. What do you think about that? I I would say that's what builds the mental and emotional resiliency to take a shot in the ribs or have something happen. Like, you know, because this is the part, again, using the athletic uh, uh, parallel, is you have a strategy, but you get hurt. 
How do you modify? How do you adjust? How do you how do you make sure that you do the things that you need to do to get back on track as quickly as possible and still have that ultimate goal in mind? But, you know, like, you know, I, re, I think I mentioned in the last episode, I remember um, all the time and I use this saying across all areas of my life is that things suck is when you're making progress. That's when the real work begins. And the thing is, I have observed time and time and time again through friends and others that I've coached or, or worked with that they like it when it's easy and they don't like it when it's hard. And to me, that is the clearest determinant of how badly somebody wants something. Because I remember, you know, um, when I'm building my business, I'm like, you know what? I really don't want to go out prospecting today or I don't want to make these calls or whatever. But then I say to myself, I'm like, listen, man. Are you in this thing or are you, are you just playing the role or you actually want it? Right. And it's this weird monologue. Yeah. Accountability to myself. And that as I, as I tell our listeners, if you're not doing this right away, there's nothing wrong with that. That's normal. Um, like for me, I, I, I've had a lot of training in this area, but the point is, and I think what I'm hearing you saying too, is that being cognizant of that you will inevitably come across and realize that it is totally natural you're going to come across them, but just have a plan for dealing with when you come across them. And the thing is, is as you do it more and more and more, you're going to get better and better and better attack those hurdles will show up. hundred percent. Like for me, yeah. And, and you've, you've commented it on LinkedIn before, but I have a nickname in the data literacy world. And that is the godfather of data literacy. I, and I don't say that to brag. I was, I was the one who really started this movement, mm-hmm. right. And got it going. But I, I want to talk now that, yeah, there are absolutely times I was like, Oh man, another workshop really like this could have been workshop quite literally 450. I've done so many of these at this point. And you're just like, Oh man, but you still put forth effort to make it happen. But I want to make sure that, that we also talk about something else when, when we're doing the what and the how um, and putting systems in place to make this happen, we also have to build in our own personal recovery, right? This is one of the things that I think often gets overlooked outside of the fitness world. In the fitness world, people are well-versed in understanding that if we're trying to transform, you have recovery days. It might be, three or four straight kill it, kill it, kill it days, one or two easy days, you know, it, it, it's a recovery. But when it comes to the different things that we're trying to transform in these strategies, we put into place for career development, for personal development, for family development, fitness development, we have to put in times, call it what it is to vegetate, to literally turn our brain off and allow these things to sink in, allow these, take a break from it. This is one of the personal things that happened to me with, data literacy is going, 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 going. I quite literally experienced burnout, like full-blown mental burnout from it that caused health issues. And so when, when we go through these sort of strategic steps with the what and the how, we need you to find what it is we're going to do. So I'm, I'm going to now take it out from a data and analytics perspective. Let's move away from the fitness. We've got the why. We want to become a better organization using data and analytics. Um, and again, these whys are going to be personal to all the listeners. Then we need the what, okay, what it is that I need? Well, I need the technology, I need the learning, I need the data governance, I need the analytical skills, I need all of these things. Build in their levels or steps. You need to trust the process. I think this is something we hear all the time in sports, trust the process. Why, let me ask you this, let me get your thoughts on this. Why do you think in our careers though, and personal development outside of fitness, 
why is it that we don't trust the process? What are some thoughts you have on that? Why is it that we just yeah. force and force and force versus understanding? Well, I think it might be reactive. Um, and, th- and this is just, you know, kind of off the cuff, but reactive, you see peers uh, evolving uh, and you're, you're kind of benchmarking against what they're doing. Um, another one is you, maybe you don't have a vision for yourself. So you get frustrated easily, you know, like, um, one of the things that I remember seeing from a very good friend of mine where, uh, he was taking a lot of lateral moves, uh, in, in over the course of like five or six years and wasn't really quote unquote progressing. But then all of a sudden he just popped and wow, where did that, where did that come from? And he was accumulating this experience across a, a variety of different domains so that he could make this huge jump to a next level because he had spent time in, you know, supply chain. He had spent time in sales. He had spent time in like IT. It's really like really odd mix of things, but he, it was part of his plan. And so the thing was, is that he, you know, he, we talked about this. I said, well, how did you handle it when like all your friends and peers were getting promoted? He said, I, I had a plan and clarity of what that plan was going to bring me. So, because I had a future vision, he's like, I was comfortable executing on my schedule and I didn't get frustrated. He's like, if I didn't have that, I would have gotten very frustrated, very impatient. I would have tried to rush a process that didn't exist. Well, what do you think? Yeah, no, a- absolutely. I, I want to, that right there, it, it's almost dovetailing into execution, but we're going to push that out of it. It's this ability to create systems that help us succeed this is the how right this is the putting a system into place that ensures success and one of one of my favorite books on this and and people that know me probably know where i'm going to go with this is atomic habits by james james clear atomic habits i found to be one of the most influential books on how to change systems to achieve your why Um, and and then let me explain so Far too often, we sit there and we focus on the goal, but we don't have the proper systems or habits in place. And the reason he calls it atomic habits is atomic in this sense means small, so small. But by small and simple things, can we make big things happen, these small changes? And it's systems that make it happen. So he uses the analogy of, let's say you're playing basketball and you're trying to win the game. Of course, the goal is to win the game. Do you, do you just sit there on the bench and stare at the scoreboard and ho- hope your score goes up to win? If you're doing that, you're, you're losing 100, 200 to zero because mm-hmm. no one's doing anything. But it is the process. It was a system that made it happen. So let's go back to career development, right? How often do we walk into our job on a daily basis and the moment you start your day, you're putting out fires and then it's putting out fires the rest yeah, of the day. Yeah, Does that ever happen to you? Quite a bit, right? We're, we're always in this mm-hmm. reactive stage. How does this allow us to transform? It doesn't. So I have a personal system where when, before I go to sleep each night, my phone goes into airplane mode every single night. And it stays in airplane mode in the morning so I can read, write in my journal, start the day off on a positive, proactive approach to the day. And I can straight up tell you, if I miss that, in my day, mm-hmm. my day does not go as well because it's, I, I didn't start off with achievement right off the bat. I started off with reactions. Your, your mind starts spinning versus, oh, you know what? I've meditated already. I've read my book. I've written, 
wrote my journal. I've done whatever it, it is for individuals, you know, it, for me and my, my do stuff religiously or thing, whatever it is, you start your day off in a positive tone. So I encourage all listeners, give this a try. If you want to find your days mm-hmm. moving you towards your goals better, create a system. This is a how of putting in place that your phone goes on silent. There's a kid that I, uh, a great guy that I mentor who I got him doing this. And it has become second nature to him now that he does things in the morning that are, are absolutely kickstarters to his day. And we're seeing transformation and success already. So it's, it's, again, we keep coming down to this process, process, process. And, and what we need to do is create steps. These are the hows. Yeah, the process around owning your day. That's, you know, it's like win the day, own the day. Those are two sayings of mine that, that I love. And for me, the one was email. I was just an email junkie. I, I was re- just reacting. It caused stress. It, it, it caused lack of focus. It caused all these things. And then um, a good uh, friend of mine that I was um, getting coaching from, uh, she had advised me, why don't you just shut the email down? I was like, hey, ah, whoa, 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 easy. What are you talking about? She goes, no, think about this. Just batch it. You know, and Tim Ferriss talks about this too. Um, batch it at the beginning of the day, maybe shortly at yep. noon, and then the end of the day. And I couldn't fathom this behavior change because it was so ingrained in me. But I tell you what, like right now, I check email uh, for you know, 10 minutes at the beginning of the day. Um, if there's anything pressing, I address it. News, a quick check just to make sure that there's no fires. And then, um, you know, the five o'clock is just end the day to make sure, you know, set the tone for tomorrow. And that's another practice that I really helped me feel ready for the day was write down what are the goals for tomorrow? What, what's like, you know, what's that one thing you got to do and tackle the hardest thing first thing in the morning. Um, but also, um, you know, through my corporate environment, I was exposed to this, uh, you know, 40x process. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. Some people yeah, laughed absolutely. at it and made fun of it at first, but it is remarkably effective. And there's the quadrants where, you know, a lot of us are in that, you know, uh, urgent but not important um, or, you know, not strategically relevant quadrant. And we put very little time towards the, um, you know, the strategic, but it's not really quote unquote important either. It's kind of like that deep thinking, the ability to, tackle projects that are, you know, kind of, I don't want to say pie in the sky, but future state stuff. You're like, oh, I'll get to that one day. And then before you know it, four years are gone and you've done nothing to chase that that objective or goal personally. Um, and so for me is I like to use, I use a very yeah. similar format where it's in the morning, try to own that part of the day to read that book or, you know, pursue that project that's for personal purposes. But things that are kind of in that quadrant that are really hard to get through the, through the course of a normal day. Um, one other one I won't dig into now, but another book that helped me a lot was the 12-week year. Um, it's, a, it's an outstanding book, but essentially it's saying, you know, you we all tend to accomplish pretty amazing things in the last quarter of the year. It's like, why is that? And then it gets down to the idea of, well, what if you could just run your whole life off of kind of that 90-day outlook? Um, you know, and I'm a big fan of that. So um, anyway, I'm monologuing again, but to your point is having a standardized process. And I would say outline what your ideal day looks like. If, like if you had a perfect day, you know, what would that look like? And you won't be able to achieve it every single day, but there are parts of it that you can control quite well. Like for me, 
what I started to do is working out more in the morning. Now, I've fallen off the horse a little bit lately because the whole quarantine thing screwed up everything. But getting back on that horse, I mean, how do you recommend that that people start to outline kind of that ideal state or, you know, segment their day? Well, I'm, I'm going to go off of a quote that I, I really I'm going to I'm going to manipulate it a little to hit home with this point. Distraction gets good people to do good things while forgetting the essential ones. And so how do we put things in place? All right. There's uh, we're talking about books all over the place and in a good way. Um, There's a great book out there called Deep Work by Cal Newport. And it is an amazing book because basically what the science shows us is our brain has about four hours of capacity to do deep thinking work each and every day. Four hours. And but I'm willing to bet the majority of us don't even come close to that number on our daily work. Busyness does not equate to deep quality work. I want to make that extremely clear. And that is like they, they, you and I both like, oh, I've got to make sure my emails answered, my emails answered. And then he talks about, I believe in the book, how email is one of the most detrimental things to business. And it's like, what? I, I love having all my emails answered. But basically, if you think about it, if I'm deep in work, our brain does not have the capacity, whether anyone wants to think it does or not, our brain does not have the capacity to multitask. What it does is it compartmentalizes and it will switch from one task to another, even though we think we're multitasking. When the brain does that, think about how much power you have to accomplish the big things that you're looking to do. So if you're working in a deep manner and you're working on a great project, oh, this is awesome. And then an email pops in and you get distracted. And you're like, oh, my goodness, I got I to do that email. And then ask yourself, how quickly can you get back? And we were talking about this right before we started recording the episode. Mm-hmm. How quickly can you get back into a flow? It is extremely hard. And so for me, it's small and simple steps that make such a big difference. So talking about the morning routine, giving yourself a routine by putting your phone in airplane mode, create systems, not goals, systems that help you achieve success. Another one shut down email while you're trying to work on a project, shut down all your instant messaging that you have up while you're working on a project. Some people are going to be like, that's mind baffling. Why would you ever do that? Again, it allows your focus to be truly focused. And that's where the truth comes out. Like think about um, a data and analytical strategy, right? How often are companies investing in new software and technology thinking This is just going to help us achieve what we want to achieve. That's the same thing with us, right? It's that whole adage, something that I have said many times over. Oh, I'll start my diet tomorrow so I can eat this today. No, don't do that. I mean, that's a distraction. So distraction gets good people to do good things while forgetting those essential ones. We need to put systems in place that help eliminate your distractions. So what I would tell people to do uh, a what? is to sit down in a journal, in a pad, have your accountability partner help you with this. Find out what are key distractions in your life that take you away from achieving your why. And if your why is losing weight or whatever it is, Mm -hmm. what distractions are there that make you do this? What systems do you have in place? Write them down. And then I'm going to tell you, we're not trying to eliminate every single one all at once. Then you're just going to flood yourself. Then you're just going to have way too much on top of your shoulders. And the moment you do that, you're in trouble. What we're going to do is create system, a systematic approach one by one to eliminate distractions. Like for example, here, here is an, an odd one. Let's say 
yeah, I, I do this one or try to. Let's say I love to lift. I want to do more and more push-ups throughout my day. Well, guess what? I drink a lot of water. Every time I leave my bathroom, do push-ups. I'm not trying to be too you know, graphic here or whatever, but then go do your push-up set. You know what I mean? It is a habit-stacking approach to things. It's allowing me to build a system that I know, oh, I left. I've got to do a set of push-ups. And that is a small and simple thing that improves greatly. And, and I think personally, you find as you create more and more of those habits, you create more and more of those systems, it is easier to do different ones. And it's easier to get rid of distractions after you accomplish one or two, yeah. instead of trying to accomplish 50 at once. Does that okay? Bringing awareness to what distracts you. I know uh, for me, I had numerous blind spots. I still have some. There's some that I know, uh, um, you know, I have to address sooner rather than later. But to your point on the habit stacking, I really like that because what it is, too, is it gets back to one of the themes from last episode, which is getting small wins, right? And so these are going to be a lot of times it's great to habit stack small things that individually are not hard. But when you put them together, um, they can be quite profound, right? And so, you know, like um, it's it's one of those where, you know, if you're doing using your fitness exercise or uh, example, um, you're doing 20 squats an hour, right? Well, 20 squats by itself, body weight squats is nothing. But at the end of the day, if you have, you know, 150, 200 squats, that's, that's pretty significant movement. And, and that's the thing is that by getting those wins, the, the individual piece isn't hard, but that combined, you know, one plus one equals five again, you know? Um, and it's, it's a really great way to, to yep. start that process, right? So that kind of is getting into the execution phase, which again, we won't hop forward to that, but it, it's, it's taking the strategy and then executing on that on a micro level time after time after time, which, you know, winning begets winning. Um, so when you're habit stacking, how do you look at kind of personal feedback fitting into this process, right? Because that's a really important part, man. Oh, it, it, this to me, and that, I'm, I'm glad you asked this question. This is where I wanted to go next is feedback is such an essential key, right? I, it's, it goes back to this idea that if you surround yourself with people that only tell you what you want to hear, how are you going to progress? You know, I, I want harsh brutal feedback. I want people to tell me, man, your running form lacks here, or you're, you're doing this in your data and analytic work. Feedback, the key to feedback, there will be plenty of people, hopefully, um, that want to give you feedback. Maybe not. Maybe they're like, I don't want to say this because you're going to take it the wrong way. But the, the key to feedback with habit stacking, with systems, with all of this is an open mind to the feedback itself. Um, I'm probably more stubborn than I want to let on. And when people give me feedback, I probably don't take to it uh, as well as I should. Just ask my wife. I'm sure she would agree to that. Um, But I'm sure we can also think of people that we know that they ask for advice and then you give advice. And instead of following the advice, they do the exact opposite thing and then come to you later and say, I should have taken your advice. How, how often is it that we're doing the same thing? I think the first thing with feedback is we have to create in ourselves the open mind to receive it. And then not only to receive the feedback, but then mm-hmm. to put systems in place to correct it. Um, if, we're, if we're not allowing feedback to help improve our yeah. lives, that's what you would call ego in my mind. And mm-hmm. it's we've got to push that aside. 
Um, and it's not to say that we can't be confident in certain things and this and that, but it's the reality that, you know, here, prime example, I've been given plenty of accolades for my public speaking. I'm invited to speak all over the world. The problem is we can get so comfortable in something we're given accolades on. I hope people will give me a little bit of feedback from here. You know what I mean? I want to hear, am I, am I moving around the stage too much? Were my hand gestures too big? Was my inflection off? And that is a key. I think the key to feedback for me to creating better habit systems is openness to receive it. Because if you're open to receive it, it means there's a, there's a pathway for improvement. If we're not open to receive feedback and criticism, that pathway is pretty blocked. Mm -hmm. I, one of the quickest ways to uh, really profound improvement in a very short time period. Uh, a couple of times in my life, some of the best feedback I had were from people that I actually did not respect tremendously um, at the time, uh, just because we, we butted heads or whatever. But then I would go to them and be like, hey, you said X. Tell me what you mean. What do you mean by that? Not in a, like, a confrontational way, but I was like, I found a way to, to step back from the person and look at the, the statement being made and then tried my hardest to analyze it objectively. And then the thing that I found is that by actually asking those questions, it actually facilitated um, a much, much better conversation and how I could improve, but also it helped improve our relationship because they're like, holy cow, you're actually interested in what I have to say. I'm like, yeah, even though I disagree with you, I think you raised a relevant point. I want to hear more about what you were thinking. Then it doesn't become a personal attack. Now it's like, somebody's going to listen to my advice because the thing that I've observed is that generally speaking, well-intentioned people, like there's people that will always give you advice just because they feel like they need to chime in on everything, right? But again, if you're going to these people that you trust and you feel have your best interests in mind, then it would behoove you to listen to that advice, even if you don't like it, because they're clearly seeing something. And even though you might not agree with it, like I get advice all the time on like my LinkedIn writing, well, you shouldn't say this. I was like, well, I hear what you're saying, but I disagree. And Oh, no, you're great. I was just uh, completely agreeing with you. I think I think the reality with this is, your comment on LinkedIn there is perfect. You and I have a lot of followers. We say a lot of things. Yeah. It is okay to disagree with us. That is not a bad thing. And it is okay for us to disagree with them. We need to be able to disagree without being disagreeable. But, but the idea here is that the feedback, right? And that, you know, like for me, one of the reasons, one of the core reasons why I started posting on LinkedIn and doing a lot of stuff openly was I wanted to improve uh, my writing skills. And I was looking for feedback on my take of what I see in the data and analytics space. And as you know, I've talked about numerous times, I by no means know everything, but I do realize that guys like you and I have a relatively unique perspective on things and that sometimes it's nice just to hear uh, voices of others. And believe it or not, a lot of times I like hearing from people that disagree with me. I'm like, tell me more about that. What do you, what are you thinking? Right. Cause I don't look at it as, you know, hey, you're <laughs> challenging my authority or my knowledge. It's like, you have a different take, and I'm highly curious as to what it is. You know, it's not I'm better than you or you're better than me. But to bring it back full circle to the personal feedback side of that is that it's okay if you're, you're not open to that feedback initially. But all I ask is that you put forth the effort. Just try to, to, to make an effort to, to yeah. listen to that feedback. I'll admit. It's hard. It's not easy. But to 
get back to the point that I brought up before, and I think I heard you talk about too, is that it could quite possibly be one of the best force multipliers to propel you on towards that vision that you want down the road. As long as you're willing to listen and to your point, eventually take action on it if appropriate. What do you think? I uh, completely agree. And, and we're coming up on button up on the time here. But one of the things I would add is you're right. There's going to be millions of people who want to offer you an opinion. I would say find accountability partners. Here's another step. Find accountability partners who you know have your best interest at heart and who are going to help you succeed. I, I have a friend in mind right now who I've known um, for years, decades, who I know who I could go to and say, what does this look like? Is this okay? And the feedback will be honest and it will be true. Don't just ask any person off the street. Ask someone that you know has your best interest at heart or will give you the best advice they can because that's the kind of person they are. You're always going to find naysayers who are more than willing to give you their opinion. You have to, you have to be careful with that because they're, you're not necessarily their best interest at heart. Whereas people that like you and I have no problem calling each other out and holding each other accountable. It's what we should do. And I think that is one of the keys to good feedback and accountability on your strategy and your why is that the person truly has your best interest at heart. And if you find that, hold on to it because that person will be, could be a golden key for your development. Absolutely. Buddy, this, is, this has been really good. Uh, really great talk. Um, you know, I think your closing statement there was amazing. You know, kind of my takeaway of everything we've talked about so far is, you know, make a realistic plan. Write down those goals. You know, you, you need to do that. It's so important. Um, the committing to the plan is, is incredibly important, too. And, and ultimately, that execution, which we touched on here, we're going to touch on the execution part uh, even more in a future episode because that's where the rubber hits the road. All, all of this is great. All of this is nothing until you actually get out there and do it. Um on that note, I'm really excited about our next episode because this is going into what you and I are, uh, to put it mildly, pretty good at. We're going to be talking data and analytical strategy. Lots to talk about there. Um, we could probably make a 10-part series out of that, but it should be a lot of fun. Uh, Jordan, thanks a lot, buddy. Um, to the audience, thank you for chiming in. Again, uh, we look forward to talking to you next episode. Have a great day. Thanks so much for joining us today on another episode of Transformation Nation. Please take the time to connect with both of us, reach out through our social channels, and start taking those first steps towards not only transforming yourself, but empowering everyone to become who they want to be. Until next time, this is Jason and Jordan. Go dominate, my friends.